I am Lucas Mack, and I'm on a mission to see the hurting get healed and the healed go out and heal others in order for all of us to experience the true love and light we desire. This podcast is me sharing my journey with you so you don't feel alone in your journey. Welcome to the Golden Rule Revolution. Hello, brothers and sisters, and welcome back to another episode of the Golden Rule Revolution. I am Lucas Mack. Thank you for joining. Today's episode is is very important. Um, the conversation that I have with today's guest, I, I just ask you to get beyond the words and understand the sentiment, understand the intention, understand the true human nature that we are talking about, because this is important for what we are about to enter, what could happen. And part of planning is planning A through Z, not just focusing on A, B, and C and and allowing your mindset to go uh, to very few variables. You have to think through all the variables. And this conversation is incredibly important. So today's guest is Greg Anderson. He was, um, a special forces army ranger, second battalion. He did 14 combat tours in Iraq. He also was a federal marshal. He was a law enforcement officer up until 2020 when he recorded a video warning police officers not to infringe upon citizens rights. And because of that, he lost his job also gained a new world uh, opened up to him. He has an incredible podcast. He's been on my brother's podcast, The Soulful Hunter. Um, He has Endless Endeavor podcast. They're great podcasts, both of those. And now I'm excited that he gets to come on mine and listen to his heart. Listen to this this beautiful warrior, this warrior poet, as I described him after uh, he and I got off the call. So Greg, thank you for coming on. Thank you for speaking your truth. Thank you for holding the line and uh, thank you for being a warrior. Thank you for serving our country. Thank you for continuing to serve by sharing what you did in this episode. Brothers and sisters, buckle up. Here's Greg Anderson. I got I got to start recording. Uh, <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> it's so good. Um, brother, I want you to know, thank you. Thanks for everything you're doing. You're standing, you're speaking out. It takes a lot of courage to do what you did to you know, wear that badge and still use your voice. And thank you. I want you to know that. Thank you. I appreciate hearing it. And, and the support has been overwhelming. It's interesting from my perspective as a police officer, the support from the community, the, the support from the coworkers, like my message was not some strange abstract idea. It was that police officers need to respect people's liberties and their constitutional rights. And it's our job. It's our oath to defend and uphold those. And that's all I said. And uh, it resonated with a lot of people. And it, the reason it resonated with so many people is because people were seeing with their own two eyes, police officers conducting themselves in a manner that was outside of that. It yeah. was not congruent with that. And so when they saw a police officer stand up and say what we were all thinking, it was a powerful message. And uh, it's just interesting how even even my own chain of command, my own commander was like, Greg, that's a powerful message. It's a great message. And I support what you're saying. You just can't say it. <laughs> like, that's And think about that. That's the world we're in now that's everything. where people believe in your message and they, they, they say they want to support you and they say that they agree with you, but we can't say it. Like, how is that America? You know? Right. Well, the answer is it's not America and that's where we're finding ourselves, right? It's this, this war. I think one of the things that you said in that video and, and, and I want you to share your background. I obviously in the intro, you know, gave what I know of your background, uh, what will I know, but you said something in that video that to me was the crux of it was that you have seen combat mm-hmm. and People are not prepared. I have a lot of special forces buddies. In fact, uh, 
Johnny L. Sasser has the Art of Masculinity podcast. He is a second battalion Army Ranger. I want you, he, I'm going to connect you with him. Like, there's a lot when, of good dudes that are. When was, when was he in? Do you know? Uh, he's, he's younger than us. So okay. I, I know he was in for 10 years. Um, but a warrior and like you, a beautiful heart, beautiful soul, beautiful. But, you know, when it's time to get after it, he gets after it. And uh, got another buddy, medically retired, 10 year Navy SEAL. Um, broke his back. Thankfully he can walk now, but you know, all these guys, similar narrative to what you shared in that is people talk the game unless you've been there. And that was the warning that I got from your message was, yeah, it was to law enforcement hold out, but it was, you don't know what you're provoking. Exactly. Ready for what could come from this and man, I talk about it a lot. I talk about it a lot on my show because this isn't like out of the realm of possibility. Right. Human beings have been doing violence on each other since the beginning of time. That's right. Since all recorded history, human beings, when you are backed into a corner or when, when you need something as simple as food, when you need something like water, when you take away the basic amenities of life, people will go savage. And yeah. that's something that I've seen with my own two eyes. And I was also in second battalion with the 75th Ranger Regiment. And I did several deployments with them. And then I did a lot of contract work too, all over the place. A lot of it was in Iraq, where I got a front row seat to how people behave in war torn countries. When you take away people's basic rights, basic freedoms, basic liberties, and uh, not only take them away, but give them an opportunity to behave in a manner that they just choose to behave in. And it, it's kind of, it was interesting because Saddam Hussein ruled that country with an iron fist. And as soon as the rules were stripped away, you would think like, okay, well now Saddam was taken out. So people can be peaceful and live in love and happiness. No, because there wasn't, law and order established. There wasn't any type of normalcy. What we saw was a power vacuum and people started behaving however they wanted. And here's the thing. If 97% of the people behave in a good manner, but only 3% take that power vacuum as an opportunity to do evil to other people, guess what the streets look like? They're littered with bodies and there's blood everywhere. It doesn't take a large percentage of people to behave in a way like that. Thank you. I'm getting a coffee delivered. Excellent. Good. <laughs> um, it doesn't take a large percentage of people to be behaving in a manner that is violent and dangerous to cause utter chaos in your communities. And so that was, you know, like I'm not some wacko doomsday prepper guy. I'm a, a critical thinker. I've had a lot of experience and my message to the American people was, if we lose our ability to maintain law and order in our streets, if our police officers push the citizens to a point where they no longer respect authority, they no longer respect the badge and they start pushing back, it's just a numbers game. It's just a percentage game. We're going to lose our ability to maintain law and order on the streets. And once that's lost, stand by, because I don't think people are ready for what that looks like. And I feel like we got a taste of it with the BLM stuff when, and, and like, I look at silver linings and things, right? Like I didn't agree with those protests. I don't agree with that message. I don't agree with how they conducted themselves, but when a large group of people are fed up and they're willing to go out into the streets, society cannot contain that. And, and, and I think it's like a perceived it's a misconception that the government has the ability to just maintain law and order and take care of everyone and keep everyone safe. That's a, that's a misconception. It is up to us to make sure that we're ready to maintain those things. And when I saw cops doing all this egregious stuff to people, I was like, man, they are going to wake, wake the sleeping giant, you know? Yeah, that's right. It's um, just the, the, path my life is taking me. I have a lot of um, people I'm connected with that are very progressive, very liberal because I've been in, I was a TV journalist. I was a TV reporter. So I've been on air. I know a lot of my friends are the big national people. And, and um, I left that industry because it's 
an absolute lie and everything, mm-hmm. that, everything and from, and I can go into that, but, but I talked to these people there, there's an information echo chamber that they live in. They watch MSNBC, they read the New York times, they have their Twitter people that they follow. And they think that that is the world that is that they think that's the reality. And the reality is one of the things my buddy is, a, I became friends with him when he's just medically retired from the seals. And I was down there and I was helping his company, um, working with his company. And he said something to me, I'll never forget. And you reminded me of it when you said your video last year, he, he, he has lots of guns, obviously he's a savage and he's a warrior and he's a beautiful guy. And, and, uh, I said, what do your neighbors think of all, you know, you're in San Diego. There's you know, obviously a lot of Patriots around here, but what do your neighbors think of, uh, cause we were filming. He was like, he was putting his, <laughs> we were building firearms for the video and we were uh-huh. like, you know, like it looks super cool, but we we're doing it in his driveway or people driving by and we had a film crew and I asked him what his neighbors thinking. He goes, well, this one neighbor's anti-gun, anti-war, anti-military, anti-this. And, and he goes, but the funny thing is we had some burglaries in the neighborhood recently and we all were standing in the cul-de-sac meeting and the woman said, who has been hounding me all the time, disrespecting me, always anti this, anti that. She goes, well, if the end of the world happens, we're coming over to your house, Larry, because you have all the guns. And he said, no, if the end of the world happens, I'm coming to your house and I'm taking all your food. <laughs> Straight and, up. Serious. Yep. And this is why when people live in this information echo chamber, they don't understand what, I, what he just said, what I understand, what you understand. That's not a joke. That is not a joke from his soul. I'm coming into your home. And what are you going to do about it? Nothing. You're yeah. When it, when it comes down the police, you are anti your own protection. What? Yeah. So when it comes down to my children eating versus your children eating, 100%, brother. The, the, the answer is crystal clear. Yes. And, and, you know, like I touched on it right before you started uh, right before you pushed record, but there's a large percentage of human beings, people no different than you and I that are living an experience on this planet as we speak, struggling to get food, struggling to get water, struggling to not get killed by a rival tribe that that has some some tribal disagreement that's went back for six generations like and they struggle every day just to maintain life. That's a real human experience. That's in my opinion, that's probably the more normal human experience. If you were to take all the people that have lived throughout history, however, America, we created this, this utopia. That's a couple hundred years old. That's an experiment that has been working pretty well. Right. I mean, I'm sitting here talking to you through a computer, enjoying a cup of coffee. I just got out of my sauna. Like, Life is pretty good, right? But don't allow that to make you think that this is the only possible reality. Reality as a human being on this planet can be dark. It can be a struggle. It can be violent. And that's not me saying like, oh, doomsday prepper. It's, you know, it's just the reality of this experience. And for people to think that they're exempt from that, they don't think that that's those things can affect them or work their way into their life. They're simply not being honest with themselves. I mean, just for instance, like I had a, I have a buddy who's a sheriff down in New Orleans. When Katrina hit, lawlessness. People were raping, murdering, stealing, looting. And it took a long time to, to establish law and order in that city again. And so you take away some basic necessities. You take away electricity. You take away food. Or you take away law and order, the ability for our police to respond. There's a certain percentage of people that will go savage as soon as that opportunity presents itself. Mm. And uh, who knows where we're going? I mean, I keep thinking that things are going to start to turn around and get better. Mm. And, and you, you start to feel like maybe they are a little bit and then boom, we get hit with something else crazy. You know, like yesterday, Fauci saying he thinks banning unvaccinated people from traveling is a good idea. And it's like, well, that same guy that I just referenced that lives in New Orleans, he's my business partner. I fly back and forth to New Orleans all the time. 
as part of my professional life as part of what provides income and, and food puts food on my family's plates. Right. You take away my ability to travel. That's going to impact me. There's only so many people that can be impacted negatively and have things stripped from their life and their ability to provide and their ability to make their income before people start to go savage, like I was saying. And right. where's that tipping point? I don't know. And I'm not calling for it, but to think that it's not going to happen, I think these politicians are out of touch with reality. You start messing with people's ability to take care of their children. Let's see what happens. Yeah, yeah, that's right. See, I'm a little bit more... Uh, John, my brother, who everyone listening, Greg was on my brother's podcast. Graciously, they had a powerful episode, two hours, and John came on yours. And the three-hour saga continued, and it was uh, amazing. But John and I, my brother and I, grew up in a very unique situation that he didn't really go into. But because of the house we grew up in, I understand from a strategic level power structures and for instance i can say i i'm into conspiracies all the time why not because i owned a company item i made decisions in my closed office with my cfo and my that impacted all my employees now one day their life changed i communicated it to them but had i not and their life changed then they'd look around and be like well, where did this come from? Well, that's how someone is making decisions at some point that rolls down or, you know, rolls out to the rest of us. And why I bring this up is I look at these politicians. I don't think they're actually unaware. I think they're trying to provoke, 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 provoke uh, the savageness in, in us intentionally. So I that, think so too, you know, and, and what's so amazing and what I don't understand why the left and I just say left. I mean, humans are humans, but these people that believe the, the mainstream rhetoric and narrative and these politicians they think are benevolent, how they don't see the American patriot as the most patient human on this planet it is beyond me. The patience. It's, it's truly remarkable. It's remarkable. It, the patience is remarkable. And then at the same time, the president is standing at his podium and says, my patient for you is yeah. running thin. Yeah, yeah. You, you think about that. That's that's straight inflammatory. Yeah. You know, yeah. like. It was I'm a declaration a, of war. I, I took that. It, I, honestly, I mean, here. Yeah. So just to give a little background on myself, like I went in the military at 18 years old. Mm. I went right into Second Ranger Battalion. 9-11 happened while I was part of that unit. We started deploying in the next 10 years of my life, I did 14 combat deployments. That doesn't make me special. That doesn't make me unique. Most people that were enlisted during that time had a similar experience. But for me personally, I gave a substantial amount of my life's energy to the war. Now, I did that because I was in my 20s. I thought it was patriotic. I thought it was my duty. But the other side of it is, is I also enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I thought it was wild. It was, it was a cool experience, right? Then I get out of, I get out of that line of work at 29 years old and I go into law enforcement and I do another decade as a deputy with one agency. And then I switched and I was a police officer with another. I've never been in trouble. I don't have a criminal record. I have three small kids. I've always paid my taxes. My tabs on my truck are renewed at the right time every year. Like I play the game that the politicians have put in place, not because I agree with it all. I think a lot of the, the stuff that they do is criminal. I think a lot of taxation is theft, but I also know what am I, what hill am I willing to die on? You know? And so I've assimilated to society as best that I can. And I'm, I think that I'm doing a pretty good job navigating these waters and being a responsible, productive human being. I'm a small business owner as well. I own a gym. I teach people martial arts. I teach people shooting and, and self-defense tactics. And my point of saying all of this, I've never been considered the enemy of this country, quite the opposite. I've always been looked to as a person, as a protector as a leader, as someone that stepped up and defended this, the citizens and defended this country. And now in the last six months, 
guys like me, they're trying to paint us out to be the bad guy. They're trying to paint. There's literally been like headlines. It's like if people, if people resist COVID measures or COVID lockdowns, we're looking at them as potential terrorists. Like what? Like I'm considered now simply because I don't agree with something that the government is mandating. I'm a terrorist. What are we really talking about here? You know? And, uh, I honestly think it's because the people that are the most capable, just like you said, your buddy with all the guns, I'm that guy too. My house is full of guns. I have a bunch of AR 10s. I have a bunch of AR 15s. I have a lot of ammo, but more importantly, I have the tactics and know how to employ those things in warfare that probably scares the, the, the people that, and it's just like you said, this is orchestrated. I think that they're trying to pit us against each other. I think that they want to paint guys like us out to be the bad guy because once we're the bad guy, then if they come after us, no big deal. Right. And, uh, it's just every day. It's something, it's a little more just chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And I mean, I saw, and it's, I'm not Nostradamus, but for whatever reason, I felt something in my soul that this was dirty from the beginning. That's what inspired me to make that video. Cause I was like, you know what? I don't know all the, the details of this quite yet. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a virologist. I'm not an epidemiologist. Okay. I don't have the ability to read the data and understand things on a molecular level, but the way the politicians were selling it, felt dirty. So here I was May 5th of 2020. I spoke about it in a manner that felt true to me in my own heart. And if you look back now, there is a lot of dirtiness to this. This was created in a lab. Yes. Fauci did send funding to it. These are no longer crazy. Oh, those are those crazy white right wing conspiracy wackos. These are things that happen. This is bipartisan. This has nothing to do with your political beliefs. And they're finding that hmm, lockdowns didn't really stop the spread. Mass didn't seem to work, but they keep pulling our rights away at the same time, even though we know it's an agenda. And just like you said, how much longer are we going to implement patience? You know, like once I can't fly anywhere anymore, is that, is that where we say, you know what, we've had enough. We're done with your game. At what point do people stand up and say, we're done? Cause the perception of power is simply that right. The government doesn't hold the power. The people hold the power. And, uh, I, you know, I don't want to see, I don't know. I go back and forth on this because I've, I've talked about a lot on my show. I don't want my daughters to be raised in a a war torn country, a post apocalyptic America. But the other side of the coin is the system that has brought us here is clearly broken. We're where we're at today as a result of a broken, corrupt system. So if we just try and mold it a little this way or a little that way to try and get us back on track, the truth is on its foundation, the system that brought us to where we're at today is corrupt and broken and we need a restructuring. So what does that look like? You know? Yeah. The, I mean, I have three children. I'm about to have four um, I don't want them, you know, none of it, no, no sound parent, no sound human would want their children to be raised in that. However, and I will say, however, because I think this is the big philosophical discussion that needs to be had. I would rather have them live free in chaos than live as a slave in compliance. I would. Like if we die, we die. It didn't Ivan Drago say that about uh, Apollo Creed. If he <laughs> dies, right. he dies. He's like, well, it took that type of mentality for Rocky to finally wake him and use Rocky for a second. But remember when, <laughs> when I like it, dude, I love movie analogies. Okay. So Adrian told Rocky that she was standing at the top of the stairs and he's standing at the bottom of the stairs and she goes, you can't win. And he looked at her and this is the crux of my life. (laughs) He said, Adrian, you always tell the truth. Maybe I can't win, but for him to enter that ring, he has to be willing to give his life. And for me to enter that ring, I have to be willing to give mine. And I'm not sure he's ready for it. And Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I'm ready for it. 
and he walks away. That is the thing. That's why William Wallace, you know, Abraham Lincoln named his named son, his son Wallace. William Wallace. They called him Willie. They hide that. Like, no, his name was William Wallace. He was a savage. I mean, William Wallace is savage, but Abraham Lincoln, here's the greatest president to, to navigate, you know, again, the deep state trying to subvert this country. Um, but that movie is, is everything when he, he would rather cry out before his head's taken off on in that movie freedom and go out saying, fuck you. <laughs> like, well, bro, I was 14 when Braveheart came out to this day. I attribute that. I attribute that to me wanting to be a warrior mm-hmm. for me, wanting to stand up for what is right mm-hmm. at any and all costs. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you remember when, when William Wallace came back to his town, he's like, and they're like, Wallace, we have a, we have a town meeting. He goes, I don't want to be part of your meetings. He goes, I came back to raise crops, God willing a family. That's what I want to do. But they wouldn't leave him alone. Right. You know, it's right. a perfect analogy to what we're seeing. I literally, I tell people all the time, my jujitsu gym is doing great right now. My podcast is doing pretty good. Like I could sustain life financially on these two things. And I'm in, I'm also enjoying the journey. Right. So I just want to be left alone. That's what I want. Just let me do me. You go do you. And then the world can go around, but they won't stop at that. And I feel, I feel as like the English, like we're going to, we're going to implement primo nocte, you know, like all of this stuff that makes people be like, you know what? I'm done with your fucking game. Right. And so now we're going to do things my way. And when enough people, reach that point i'm excited for it just like you said i go i go back and forth like i don't want my kids to have to live through war because i've lived through war but this is what i tell people and this is what i tell myself too to really help me find comfort knowing that whatever direction the country goes we're going to be okay because let's say we do vote out some of the shitty people we vote out, we vote in some people that are patriots that believe in freedom. We start to turn the tides, the trajectory of this country shifts, and we can focus on growing our business and raising our family. That's great, right? If that happens, I'm, I'm content with that future. That will be good. But if they keep pushing and pushing and pushing and forcing people into a corner and this country explodes, what we're going to find is We're going to find strong people banding together. You're going to have to look out for each other. You're going to have to, I mean, you'll go back to infantry 101 tactics and your compounds will have to have 24 seven manned security positions. You'll be having to run your life. Like you're running a patrol base in ranger school. It's going to be physically demanding. It's going to be emotionally exhausting, but what you're going to find is the relationships with the people to your left and your right are never going to be more powerful. They're never going to be more meaningful and your community will be more tight knit than you've ever experienced in your entire life. So that gives me hope on the other side. It's like, even if the world goes to shit and everything is difficult and everything is hard, the human experience is actually going to be more rewarding. And I look at like, I talk about this on my show. Like I am actually grateful if I get to live through the fall of America or the restructure of America, because my grandfather lived at 85 and he woke up and he worked in a wood mill every single day. And then he retired and then he lived uh, another decade watching jeopardy in his chair. And then he died. And I love the man and he was a great human being, but his life didn't have the kind of impact that I think this generation is going to get to have. So I look at this as an opportunity. This is an obligation. Like this isn't something like it's actually what your brother says. He goes, life doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. Right. I think this is going to be an opportunity for the, for the, the people that stand up for the right values and the right morals to really take this country and change its trajectory. And what people don't realize is the potential for that to look dark and violent is high. Yeah. And these people that are pushing us and pushing us and pushing us, you got to realize something. They want to take your guns, except they have a 16 man team yep. 
that's fully armed that follows them around everywhere they go. Right. I used to work for the Department of Justice. I was on a Supreme Court justice security detail. I know exactly what it's like to drive around Los Angeles and level seven armored limos with Supreme Court justice, whoever. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing necessarily, but the truth is that person decided that he wanted to go into the judicial system and work his way to the top. And now he feels like, or not he specifically, but the system feels like this person needs to be protected. So we're going to give him a 16 man team. Every one of us had an AR 15 and a Glock 19. That's just one person's life. And it's no more valuable or less valuable than anybody else's. And if you choose to be a plumber or I choose to work at Boeing and rivet airplanes together, my family is equally as important as his family and my right to defend those people and carry a firearm or have an, an AR 15 in my home. It is just as important for those people to be able to offer them and their, their family protection as well. And so a lot of people have relied on the police for a long time. Well, if things go bad, I'll just call the police, but this is what I always tell people. The police are not proactive. They are reactive. Now, obviously there is proactive styles of policing where you're out in your community, you're looking for things, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when someone comes to you to do violence, I'm going to have to pick up the phone and call 911 and I'm going to have to wait. I mean, it used to be five to eight minutes in Seattle. It's over 60 minutes now. So 60 minutes for someone to come and rescue you. So I'll let you in on a little secret. If you're not familiar with violence, if you're not familiar with fighting, if you're not familiar with combat, 60 minutes is an eternity. And so you have to look at it like this. No one is coming to save you. You better be prepared to save yourself. And uh, that's where like a, a big part of my show and my mission is talking to people about their capabilities. And it starts with the original piece of issued combat equipment, your body, you know, like you got to get your body in order. The first GI issued, but that's God issue, not government. <laughs> issue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, that's it. The, and I always joke. I said the original piece of combat equipment is the human body. If you can't run up a hill, people think that combat, I even had someone write me. They're like, you're always talking about, the necessity to get in shape and how important it is. And he's like, bro, this isn't game of Thrones. We're not fighting with swords. People have guns. Now it's not as important as you make it out to be. And it's like, you have no idea what you're talking about because the wars that I fought in, guess what we fought with guns, yeah. but you're still running up stairwells. You're still dragging people. You're still, you still have, 45 pounds of kit on you and your body armor and you're getting dehydrated. But here's the other thing that doesn't get talked about as much when you are physically in shape, your ability to buffer cortisol and buffer lactic acid and deal with the stresses of combat, not just necessarily the physical, the physical fight that your body's going through, but just dealing with the emotions of combat. If your body works at a higher level, you're going to be able to process and buffer that stuff more efficiently. Whereas if you think you're just going to be 300 pounds, get up off the couch with Cheeto stains all over your shirt and grab an AR 15 and get in the fight, you're not being realistic with yourself, you know? Yeah. Oh, and obviously it's 2021. There's a million reasons to get in shape now, but the biggest reason is that if you're in shape, COVID can't hurt you, <laughs> you, yeah. you know? Right. Yeah. And it's like, oh, there'll, there'll be someone being like, oh, he's so stupid. My second uncle was in good shape and he died of COVID. And I actually got in an, my friend got in an argument with someone about this. He goes, that's not true. My aunt died of COVID and she was in great shape. He goes, how old was she? 81. <laughs> you know, it's like, and dude, all deaths can be considered a tragedy, but I don't look at death as a tragedy. Personally, I look at death as part of a life cycle. Yeah, that's right. You're born, you right. live, then you die. Yeah. Nobody's getting out of this alive. Right. And I came to terms with death being a normal part of our life as a young ranger, because I was like, dude, I'm going to get, I'm probably going to get blown up here. Mm. So I, I confronted those emotions and I arrived at a point where I'm like, okay, you're probably going to die playing this game, but that's okay. 
So many men and women have died before you defending what they believe to be important and the values that they hold dear to their heart, defending those things. We wouldn't even be here speaking about anything if men didn't do that. Right. If George Washington didn't say, you know what? Fuck the king. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, right. <laughs> it's important, right? And so, yeah, so it's important to come to the realization that life is finite. I have his, his profile right there behind. Yeah, him. that's right. dude. Oh, reminding and and just know that like none of us are getting out of this alive so once you understand that now we can we can operate within that realm of understanding and what that does is it takes fear out of the equation Mm. now like i honestly think that the biggest the biggest control measure that we're seeing nationwide is they're using fear to control people to comply Mm. but once you're not afraid of the future, regardless, like, I don't care if I'm on the winning end or the losing end, we have to maintain our trajectory. We have to push our values and our morals. And if it costs you your life, welcome to being a human being. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's right. That's right. And if you're not willing to do that, look at any third world shithole that's being controlled by a dictator. If you're not willing to fight for the power, to, to implement the right things, someone on the other side certainly will, except their nefarious agendas are not going to be in alignment with what we're willing to do, you know? That's right. And so, it, yeah, it, we, weird, crazy times, but it's exciting too, you know? It's exciting. And, you know, one of the things that I want to acknowledge you for is your ability to articulate these things because we have for, I don't know, you know, when we were young, even the movies, you know, I reference Rocky, but Rambo, they, it was showing the, the warrior that didn't talk a lot, just kind of that silent warrior, which is fine. But that articulation must be had before the physical confrontation takes place. Yeah. I, you know, I've asked God like so many times, am I the Thomas? Because I, I speak a lot. I have a lot of people. We have people on and Thomas Paine was just as important to the American revolution as Thomas Jefferson. He wrote the book common sense, which created the spiritual, and he wasn't a Christian. He was just talking about this is the legal and moral virtuous. You cannot take from another that which you are not willing to give yourself. So that's the premise of the entire constitution and the declaration of independence. And that's why the golden rule revolution is why well, I give talks. I give keynote talks. <laughs> I say, I, I talk about relational relativism, meaning if I do to you differently than I would do to myself, we're going to eventually come into conflict because you will get a gun. I will get a gun. You'll get a bigger gun. I'll get a bigger gun. You get a bit. And eventually we come into conflict unless we self-govern and say, would I ever do unto you that which I would not do unto me? And this is where taxes, I bring this up in keynote talks. I speak at universities. I tell these college students who are being just hammered with communism. I said, if you are okay with raising the taxes, say one, the 1%, whatever you want to say, if you're okay with raising the taxes on them, then you should be okay with raising the taxes on your mom. Yeah. If you're not okay with raising the tax on your mom, then don't say they should have their taxes raised. How about say flat tax? How about say whatever, but don't give into the narrative of it's me versus them or they, because John and I, my brother on my mom's side, we have Jewish family. We know how do, how did I talk about this. <laughs> Germany was the bastion of liberal free thought in Europe for centuries. It gave us the freedom of the press with the Gutenberg press gave us freedom of religion with the reformation gave us Austrian economics, which is the basis for capitalism. It gave us Bach, Beethoven, Mozart. It gave us uh, some of the most brilliant minds. How did the most free thinking anti-Roman empire in Europe turn into Nazi Germany. This mm-hmm. is a question and we see how it happens. It happens like this. You control, the, exactly like this. You control the, the people's mindset, you control their mindset, you control their lives, you control their lives. Then it's pit against, you know, each other against each other versus we're all in this together. Are and the sure? government, the government is orchestrating this at the highest level. And I used to go back and forth on this and I I still will look at myself in the mirror and be like, are you grounded in reality? Are you getting pulled out on the fringes? Are you, (laughs) are you a wacko or is this real? But it's like, look at where this started two weeks to flatten the curve, right? 
mask up, stay home, stay safe. Then they started using police officers as their henchmen to enforce these orders. And that's when we started seeing people getting pulled out of parks or taken out of the ocean for surfing and put in a cage like an animal, right? These aren't criminals. These are people that we share this society with. And it was happening more and more and more. Everybody started to get fed up, right? And that's right when I made the video, May 5th of 2020. Then what was next? A six-month campaign to make everybody hate police officers, right? Boom. Police, you guys, police officers are the enemy. Police officers are the most dangerous aspect of community. They were interviewing like young black men in, in different hoods throughout the country. And they're like, how many, how many young black men do you think police officers have killed in your community in the last year? And they're like, Oh man, I don't know, probably thousands and thousands. It's like, but here's the thing. I don't fault that person for thinking that it's thousands and thousands because the narrative gets pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And so you have that young man, who is just being fed all of these lies through all the different media sources. Perception is reality, right? So if if you tell that person that police officers are out to kill young black men and they perceive that as reality, now that's, that's how they live their life. And they're afraid of police officers. Police officers are now the enemy. And, you know, one of the, one of the videos was in California somewhere. And I used to work in Compton and South central. Like I'm familiar with those neighborhoods and those, those communities. I used to talk to guys. I used to have great conversations with people in the back of my car, taking them to jail mm-hmm. and they're fourth, fifth generation in the same projects, slinging dope, pimp and hose. Their great grandfather was doing that. Like good luck breaking that cycle, you know? But my, my point in bringing this up is, they push this narrative to these people and now these people perceive that as their reality. And, and it's exactly what you said. It's more division. It's more hate. It's more discontent when I'm sitting there and I've taken like hardcore gangbangers to jail and they're in the back of my car. And when I'm talking to them, like a man, just like we're talking right now, we've had some, I've had great conversations with people. I used to joke with my coworkers, I like conversating with the people I arrest better than you motherfuckers around the lunch table because those people have more perspective. Those people have been through some hard times. Those people have grown up in a manner that most of us didn't grow up in. And it's good to learn from them. It's good to have those conversations, but, but that scares people. They don't want us uniting. They don't want us understanding each other's cultures. They don't want us pointing the finger at the government being like, dude, you turned your back on these communities for fucking six decades. No, it's the cops that are the problem. And so they orchestrated the cops to be the bad guys. They let that narrative fly for six, eight months and stoked that fire. And then as soon as everybody was like kind of on board hating cops, they started pulling at our liberties again. And if you look at that, it's like, it's a very intricate way of conducting warfare. And it is warfare. It might not be warfare as we know it on the battlefield. Yeah, right. But it's a different kind of warfare. And now that everybody like, I feel like everybody was just happy to kind of let, okay, we can breathe. The BLM riots are over. The cities aren't quite what they used to be. Maybe we can start to get back to life. Maybe we can start open up some of some of our shops, but then they keep, pulling away your liberties, pulling away your liberties while they're making, they're masking the real problem with all of this bullshit that we're being fed on the media. And now, I mean, in the last couple months, you're not going to be able to work in Washington. I have so many friends that are first responders that are firefighters. We're going to fire you if you don't take this vaccine that's not even done with clinical trials yet. Right. Where's the peer reviewed medical journal? That's real science. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, even, but here's the other, here's the crazy thing. Even if there is a peer reviewed. Yeah. Who cares? Article if, I that, no, that, no. Yeah, if I say no, it's no. Yeah. It's yeah. very simple. Right. That's, and uh, that's and, everything. I think this is important. Sorry to interrupt you, but no, interrupt me. Let's do it. Uh, the Nazis use public health. Only they demonize the Jews as the, the reason for disease 
but they use public health as the premise for taking away the rights of the people. Yeah. I've gotten in discussions with people. They say, well, free choice ends where public health begins. And I said, no, it doesn't. And here's the thing. No, it doesn't. I hear people on the right say, well, the studies like you're, you were about to say this. I started to interrupt. I just want to say, when I hear people say, even if there were pure, I don't give a shit. If I say no, it's no. And Mm -hmm. you know what? I'd rather die and rip your skin off your face as hard as I fucking can before I give in to something I am unwilling to do. Because when I grew up, I had, I experienced a lot of shit literally that I had to do and I will never, and I want to be explicitly clear in this world. I will never do something I don't want to do ever again. And that is how I'm raising my children. hundred percent, man. That is everything, bro. This country was founded. Shout out Thomas Jefferson, the spirit of defiance. That's right. The spirit of defiance. So this is what I tell people about the vaccine because I have friends that are doctors on both sides, right? I have one of my best friends, a doctor. He's like, well, I took it and here's why I have another friend that's an orthopedic surgeon. That's like, no, I'm not taking it. And this is why it doesn't make sense. Right? So I have a lot of qualified people Mm -hmm. in my life that have shared their opinions with me on both sides of the fence, but this is where I've arrived at. You know, why I'm not taking your fucking vaccine. Take the, take the molecular arguments aside, take the, the efficacy arguments, put it aside. I'm not taking your vaccine because you're telling me I have to, that's why I'm not right. Like this is America. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to tell me what I have to put into my children and I don't care. And, and, And you know why I've come to that conclusion because when have you had to force good? When has good had to have ever been forced on people? I say the truth never needs to be marketed. There you go. So yeah, we've come to the exact same conclusion, just articulated a little differently. If something is good, people are going to see it. People are going to feel it. People are going to know that, know it. And you don't have to, you don't have to incentivize good. Hey, if you do this, we'll pay you. Let's do lotteries. We're going to give you free donuts. We're going to give you free marijuana. Like I've seen everything, right? But now it's not just incentivizing you. Now it's threatening you. We're not going to incentivize anymore. Like, oh, the, the, the incentive campaign kind of fell flat. So now we're, we're going to turn the heat up a little bit. And now we're in the threatening portion of the campaign. Well, And Biden even said, he's like, we tried to reason with you guys. Right. Right. We've been nice. We've been nice. And dude, you want to talk about inflammatory? It's like, you don't know the first fucking thing about warfare. And I don't beat my chest and and talk about this stuff to sound tough. It's okay. I talk about this stuff because I've seen it with my own eyes. I know what it's like to watch another man get shot in the face from five feet away. All right. Don't fucking threaten me because you don't know what real, true, raw violence looks and feels like. You can't fucking intimidate me. All right. So take your little tactics of intimidation and put them on the back burner because you don't have the capacity to intimidate me. And I think a lot of Americans feel that way, but not a lot of people are I've more and more people are speaking up than the last couple months. We're seeing an uprising, right? But for the president to get on his podium and start to threaten us and then also paint us out to be the problem. This is the unvaxxed causing this. Right. Well, again, let's look at the data. Um, they did a uh, they did a pretty robust study in uh, in Israel and they found out that it's actually the vax that are getting sick. Yeah. And, and And then additionally the people that were vaxxed and this actually supports taking the vaccine on one hand, it said, uh, it said viral load inside of lung tissue, which is, that's what become, that's what makes it become severe and dangerous, right? Was reduced in the vaccinated population. However, viral load throughout the nasal cavity, which is what causes contagiousness was identical. Mm. And so it's like, okay, What that study shows is if you want to take the vaccine to potentially help yourself, you can, but you can still get catch and spread COVID. So shut the fuck up, you know, (laughs) 
<laughs> but here's and, and bro, here's the other thing that people need to talk about is that you know all the animals died in the in the yep. animal studies of yep. the MNRA vaccine. And they didn't die from they didn't get the injection and then keel over dead from some anaphylactic reaction. What it did is they got a boost in their immune system for a while. It's like, oh, this looks like it's working. Then the immune systems plummeted. And they actually, you know, if this is your baseline immune system, you take the vaccine and it goes up a little bit. That's cool, right? Well, no, it's actually not cool because once the efficacy wears off, your new baseline is lower than where it was. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a million people listening. They're probably like, that stupid ranger doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. But that's fine because I've done my research and that's the conclusion that I've drawn. And that's how I'm going to move forward. And me and my family have chosen not to take it. Shouldn't everybody be able to do their research, draw their conclusions and live their life? Yes. hundred percent. No one has been able to articulate. And, and if you have any listener out there that can articulate this to me, please do. No one has been able to articulate to me why me choosing to be unvaccinated is making society more dangerous for other people. That's a narrative that's being pushed on CNN every night, but I've yet to understand or have it articulated to me by a medical professional or someone that understands virology, why that is. And so if they had a legitimate explanation, that'd be headline news every single night. I wouldn't have to be seeking this, right. you know? And you still could say no, and it's fine. Everyone, you know, like it doesn't matter. I want to share. Well, dude, and, and I'm a reasonable person. Right. And, and here's the thing. I've been risking my physical safety my entire adult life. So if, if there was a pandemic where it's like, Hey, if kids catch this virus, there's a 25% fatality rate. And it's like, fuck one in four kids in my daughter's class mm -hmm. is going to be dead this time next year. Well, we have a vaccine. We don't know much about it. It's not super promising. It has some side effects. You could, you could paint a scenario where I'd be like, okay, I'm not comfortable with this vaccine but I'm less comfortable with roomfuls of dead kids. So I'm willing to be part of this experiment to hopefully mitigate the danger to my community. Well, nobody's seeing that anywhere. That's not the case. Right. The homeless you know? population isn't gone. It's, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like That's right. yeah. the bubonic plague wiped out. Why? Because the rats went through the sewers and everyone's shitting and, you know, the rats were going where the homeless were. And that's where it started wiping out the people. And interestingly enough, they blamed the Jews for spreading the bubonic plague. But why did the Jews not die in the same population? It's because they ritually washed their hands before every meal. So they wow. didn't have the sickness. So then they didn't die. So what's happening right now? What do you think? People that are healthy are being blamed for the un yeah. behaviors. Like it's so it's the same pattern. I want to share. Is, this is what we're going to see. I'm going to say one more thing and then you can ask me the next question. Okay. <laughs> this is what we're going to see. This is my Nostradamus moment. You were going to see the vaccinated population getting sicker and sicker and the CDC even came, the CDC spokeswoman came out last week and said this, she said, vaccine efficacy is drastically waning mm. and vaccinated people are starting to get sick. So make sure when boosters become available, you take your booster, right? What did Joseph so, call it a booster? That is yeah. Goebbels. That's a Goebbels way. So what was Joseph Goebbels title? It was the ministry he was the head of the Ministry of Propaganda and Public Enlightenment, not just propaganda. He enlightened the public. You see, calling it a booster. So I want to share one thing with you. I don't want to cut you off. But I want to say I would rip the NRA. I've been in because I've been as a journalist. I've been, in, you know, I'm covering stories all the time. And I met with the NRA guy, the head of the Northwest. And I said, why have you not gotten on air and said there's no such thing as an assault rifle? He yes. Goes, what do you mean? I go there. Is, I said, if I fucking throw this rock at your head, it's an assault rock. If I stab you with this pencil, it's an assault pencil. I said, assault implicates intent. There is no such thing as an AR stands for Amarillo rifle. We know yeah, that. Exactly. Like, the guy said to me, I've never thought of that. that's a good point. I'm like, you're the NRA. I'm a reporter. I'm a journalist. <laughs> How am I telling you what, but I, it's the same thing when they call it booster. It's not a, what, what does that mean? Booster? It's another vaccine that's right does it go in the same yeah does it get squeezed in your arm the same 
Yeah, but they've called it booster. It's not another booster. It's another. So, so this is what's going to happen. The people that continue to take their three boosters a year, I think, and maybe this is a conspiratorial rabbit hole, but I think we are going to start compromising people's immune system with too many boosters, right? And the more of these shots that you take, you might have that initial response where it does benefit you a little bit, but then you're going to drop below baseline and then yep, and you're going to drop below baseline. So it's like one step forward, two steps back. Right. And somehow when massive amounts of our population start dying, they're going to say the unvaccinated allowed this to grow into a super bug. And because of their unwillingness to get vaccinated, we are now dealing with a variant that is highly contagious, highly deadly, and it's their fault. Even though, even though the truth is the complete opposite of that. And that is what's going to turn everybody against the population that chose to not get vaccinated. And dude, once that happens, game buckle on. up, yeah, game on, <laughs> game on game you know, and bro. And also zero. <laughs> Once this happens, there will be zero fucking mercy from me. Like I'm the nicest person in the world, but you push me out into the woods to live in a compound with my fucking kids eating slugs and rabbits and hopefully catching fucking fish out of the the Stilaguamish river. You push me to that point, zero fucking mercy, period. I'll have heads on pikes around my compound. (laughs) All right. A couple of things I want to say. And first of all, brother, I, I, I just want you to know you're loved, man. I love you. My brother loves you as, as who you are and what you're saying and the ability to say these things. And I want uh, everyone listening to listen. What Greg, I think this is the most human conversation anyone's going to hear in a long time. And the United States, because we have people listening all over the world, Ireland, Spain, Italy, Mexico, uh, Australia is a big audience. And I will say this, the United States, there are 2 million combat veterans like you, some less had seen less combat, some, you know, the same amount since 9-11 in this mm-hmm. country, 2 million. this isn't Vietnam vets who just like, fuck it, we're going, we're going, but this is from 2001 to 2021. There are 2 million combat veterans in the United States. Then you take the state of Pennsylvania and this is my seal buddy always tells me, he said, the state of Pennsylvania alone, there are 11 million gun owners in, not to mention how many guns, but just 11 million gun owners in Pennsylvania. That is the largest standing army in the world. So then you take 49 other states. And I want people to listening to understand because this is a human. When Greg says there's no mercy, here's the merciful thing we're tell, we are trying to tell you indirectly stand on the side of freedom or you will be on the wrong side. If God forbid things have to be as real as it has to be because you're 2 million combat veterans who are ready to go at any moment can take this country without, without a doubt right now, if it comes to that law and order is a perception. Yes. I've been on SWAT teams. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I've been part of, the the best at like the best performers in your agency you know and here's here's a couple things to think about none of those your your municipalities or your counties like special response teams or SWAT teams they don't have the capacity to even begin to keep people in check with widespread chaos they don't even have they don't even have anywhere near the capacity that is that is a perception that that people believe the other side of it is most of the men and women that are inside of those jobs and hold those positions they think the exact same as us yeah and so when things are going to go bad the toughest and the most independent and the most critical thinking members of your police departments and your sheriff's office they're going to be on the side of the people 
the mindless drones that just do whatever they're told because I don't like what I'm doing, but this is how I make my paycheck. How many times have we heard over the last year? I'm just doing my job. Yeah. Right. Hey, if your job is infringing on people's rights, fuck you and fuck your job. Yeah, right? That's right. And that's where no mercy is going to come into it. Right. right now we're trying to have conversations with people and it goes back to what I said, just let me run my gym. Let me fly to New Orleans three times a year and run my courses down there with my business partner. Let me, let me do the things that I need to do. But once you have taken away so much from me that now I have to fucking be scavenging for food and we can't fucking have any type of, any type of normalcy in our lives anymore, the gloves are off now. And everybody that brought me to this position is going to learn what warfare feels like. And I'm telling you, like we used to joke in, in Ramadi back in 04 is like, we can shoot someone in the face. If we can shoot someone in the face by noon, we still have time to go back and enjoy a sandwich at the chow hall. You know, like it's just a way of like, you know what? Like I have no emotion attached to my enemy. I have none. And uh, once someone's fucking with my children's livelihoods, you, you think you think Al Qaeda of Iraq was an enemy? That was just a game for me. We went there. We decided as 25 year old men to put it all on the line. They decided as 25 year old men on the other side of the fence. I'll see you on the streets of Ramadi. May the best man win. And to tell you the truth, I kind of respect that. Mm. Their beliefs are rooted in radical Islam. Mine are rooted in something different. And we're going to see who the best man is. They weren't directly trying to take from my children. They weren't directly trying to make my business fail. They weren't directly trying to steal my livelihood and, and be able to live in the house that I'm currently living in. You start to impact those things. You're going to find a fucking level of fury and violence and discontent that every other combat veteran is going to feel that's 10,000 fold the fury and the anger that we felt on the battlefield overseas. I don't think people understand the powder keg that could potentially be lit if people don't just leave people the fuck alone. And bro, we'll see, man, we will see. But I just don't think, I just don't think that the political elite and, and these people that are pulling the strings at the highest level are even interested in taking heed to these kind of warnings because they want it to implode. That's yeah. part of the master plan. You well, know, they're, uh, I was right. Sociopaths, narcissistic sociopaths, like, you know, the movie, uh, kindergarten cop like that husband that she has fled from has the mom they show up he's willing to if i can't have you no one can have you and it's a kill it's a murder suicide scenario and that's what i think we're witnessing right now um and i i want to end here soon because i gotta run and i know you gotta run brother and i do want to have i'd love to have more of these because i bro i do i do three hour shows often. i know man I like, I know. If, you, hey, if you can't tell if you can't tell i like to talk i love it brother <laughs> i want to uh leave everyone with this um I took my family to Great Wolf Lodge, uh, you know, down south on I-5 there, I don't know, four or five months ago. And I'm standing in line and I'm looking at this guy and I could tell he's a combat veteran and I could tell he's a warrior. And he had this tattoo on the back of his arm and it said, good men fight, not because they hate what is in front of them, but because they love what is behind them. Mm -hmm. And that summarizes everything I think you have just said in in, in not to minimize to actually accentuate that this is what we're talking about. We love our families. We love humanity. We love people. We're even talking about this, or we would just go, you would just go get after it. If that, was yeah. you know, if you hated these people and we don't, we love them, but we love <laughs> who's behind us and more than we hate, you know, and that love for our families is greater than the hate that these people have for us and they need to understand that. Um, and that doesn't mean that there's not love and violence are not opposites. No, you're absolutely right. You just beat the shit out. Of, and the, when I want to say this very specifically, because when they say, well, Jesus went into the temple to give context to, to that, 
Think of the Vatican and the Swiss guard at the Vatican. The temple was exactly like that. They were armed guards. The Sanhedrin had that thing armed to the teeth. And Jesus built a band of, he built his own whip. It says he built a band of cords and went in there and beat the shit out of those people and said, you have made my father's house, a house of commerce, and it should be a house of prayer. Like that's love. And it was Mm -hmm. also violent. That is not opposite. That is, we love what is behind us more than we hate that, which is in front of us. And people who are freedom loving human beings like us, we get this. And, and um, I just, thank you, brother. I really do. I want you to know, the Mac brothers are with you. Uh, we got it. And, uh, thanks for coming on, man. No, I appreciate it. And, uh, like you said, we'll probably have to do some follow-ups because <laughs> yeah. I just, I mean, I'm a big energy person. I'm a vibe person. Yeah. I met your bro and I was like, I like sitting down. I like talking with this guy. Yeah. And, uh, if you find people that you enjoy, build your tribe, nurture those relationships. I think that's more important now than ever. And, and surround yourself with good people, surround yourself with people that make you think and make you grow. And, uh, when I find these people, I, I want to, I want to continue that. So we'll make this happen again. Awesome, brother. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you. God bless you. And, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Everyone, please go find Greg on Instagram. I'll put his contact information in the show notes, go find his podcast endless endeavor. And um, think about what the conversation he and I just had. Think about it. I mean, I, he and I could have talked for a long time. I had to go for another, uh, another meeting, but uh, definitely would love to have him back on. But I really want you to think about this. What does it mean to be sovereign? What does it mean to protect that which you love more than fear that which is in front of you trying to encroach upon your rights? And to everyone in power, a position of power, a position of authority, let me say that, position of authority, be it law enforcement, military, political figures, remember you swore an oath to defend the Constitution and protect and serve the populace, the citizens of this United States of America, of these United States. So let's keep rising in love. Let's keep standing our ground, but let's not compromise one inch. Do not compromise. Compliance is not a virtue. So hold the line, stand strong. And I bless all of you as you continue on this journey. I'm Lucas Mack. This is the Golden Rule Revolution. Thank you for joining. And I'll talk to you on the next episode. Thank you, brothers and sisters, for listening. For support in your journey, go to my website, lucasmack.com. Dot com.